Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. The debate centering around abortion continues to amp up with President Biden having oh biden obama biden <laughs> president biden uh speaking to his intentions potentially and we'll break down a little bit of those in the event that roe versus wade is overturned as is anticipated what to make of his plans i'll share them with you everything from executive orders to collaboration with fda health and human services the center for medical care and medicaid services and a number of other offices. I'll explain that to you in just a little bit. I think it's important that we have an idea of what's coming. We are also going to talk about the fake and absolutely deceptive and ancient science that was used to address when human life begins in the Roe versus Wade decision and how there were 18 pages in the majority opinion written with pre-medieval views of the development of the human person used to deny when human life begins. And even to this day, 50 years later, the truth, the reality of science, even just at the time of Roe versus Wade decision all the way to today is still being denied. We need to set the record straight. I'm also taking your questions centering around abortion, common abortion arguments you're hearing. What are you hearing as the most prominent arguments? I'd love to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149. We've talked a lot recently about the impact of abortion on women. We asked the question yesterday here on Trending, has abortion made us happier? We talked about the disorientation it's led to for men and how the destruction of motherhood has destroyed women and has destroyed female happiness. Now, one of the things I love to do is to talk about solutions as well. And one solution I truly believe is out there is endow groups. If you've Never heard of them. Endow educates women in their God-given identity. They have programs and groups for adult women, high schoolers, and middle schoolers. And they have a new program that came out this year, specifically focusing on the high school age girls. Joining me now to talk about Endow groups and the God-given identity that young girls need to learn about is Teresa Hagen. She's a writer for Endow. Welcome to Trending. Hi, thank you. 
Let's talk about your new program. It's a four-part series that could be used anywhere from four years of high school and small groups that start out of a parish, a home. Uh, you focus on helping young women to understand that they're created for love, community, holiness, and mission. And I would like to hear a little bit more about these programs and really who it's for. Sure. Um yeah, so Endow was started to discuss the or and educate women about the feminine genius. John Paul II calling out the feminine genius and the beauty of women um, and what we have to offer for the world. Uh, and we at Endow thought um, we have all these great programs for adult women, but there are so many young girls out there and our adult women kept asking, what do you recommend for our daughters? What do you recommend for our nieces and people coming up, uh, growing up in the culture that they're growing up in um, to help them to understand and be ready to face the challenges that we see in the culture? And so we really just thought, what can we do? What can we give these women? Um, and that's how this, this project was born. Um, what we can give these girls as a solid foundation to help them understand uh, why the faith should matter to them and why mm -hmm. the church teaches what it does is that many of them have gotten the what, um, whether well or poorly, they've gotten parts of what, but mm -hmm. they don't understand why, why. it mm -hmm. why it matters to them. Um, yes. And so what we wanted to do in putting this together was um, create a resource that they could really um, dig into. Um, it's designed to be done in small groups so that they are talking to each other um, with well-placed questions, helping them to understand um, the parts of the teaching that are explained and to really digest it and connect it to their own lives. Can you break down a little bit of the program and the fruits of this new high school program for girls? Um, yeah, it's been really beautiful just to see um, the as it's coming out and what um, women are doing with it and bringing people together from all over the country. I talked to one woman who was doing an online study who just said, my daughter needs this and these girls need this and they need this space to, to be taken seriously um, and to take their faith seriously in a place where people are listening to them, where they're able to listen to each other and hear from other teens that mm -hmm. this is important to them as well. And that really this program gives them the space to do it um, in a way that, that builds them up and helps them to really grasp um, the church's teaching. And you helped to explain the relational relational dimension of the human person, which a lot of women don't understand. You know, why is it that I am so interested in relationships from friendships to romantic relationships? Uh, what does it mean to value myself? Why does the church you know, say that I'm called to holiness, but what does that concretely look like for me as a high school student? And how am I called to be a part of the mission that God has called all of us to? These are concrete things that you break down. And as you said, I love that it centers around teaching, but also opening that conversation up for young women. Because I think one of the most difficult things for high school girls today is they 
feel isolated, if they hold to a worldview that upholds faith, that upholds life, that upholds chastity. And so you're creating an opportunity for dialogue with one another, with their own peers on these topics. Yeah, and just opening up space for them to actually have meaningful conversations too, um, is that I feel like social media makes their their interactions so superficial on many levels, um, and that it's hard to get it's because they because they've lived in a world where there's quarantine, right? That they don't see their friends, that their main interaction is on the phone or online or messaging. Um, and that it can be hard to get past that. And so we really felt like this was a, a very important thing to get out there to help them, a tool for them to, to get into those deeper discussions, to build deeper relationships than you would typically be able to. And this appeals to the need of face-to-face communication in person. I'm not just talking about FaceTime uh, because we need to see lived out this by our peers. And I think that this endowed group really shows the opportunity. Now, I think one of the questions I have when looking at endowed groups is maybe someone's listening, a parent, uh, and they're saying, I don't know how to get this started. You know, it's not something that my child has in high school. You know, it's not something that's being offered at the parish. I don't even know if I could find, you know, three or four Catholic high schoolers to get together to do this. How do you advise these groups to take off so that they can harbor opportunities for these young girls in high school to grow? So I, being a youth minister, how I started was a youth minister. I no longer am. But um, the power of personal invitation um, is something you really can't get away from. And that your daughter has friends or your endow group members. So these are all your Catholic friends have daughters tell them you'll get them Starbucks or you'll get them brownies or whatever it is, bring them together with food and have them start it. Just try. Um, And I think the program is what we've found. And for women who have been bold enough to do this um, is that the program is powerful enough that they want to come back and that they want to keep these conversations going. even, uh, Even if they didn't know the girls that they're in the room with initially, Right. Even if they weren't friends initially, that they want to come back to these groups and these questions because they want to know the answers. Um, and so I guess the biggest advice is just don't be afraid and dive in. Um, we have all the information on our website and Um and all kinds of resources there specifically for the high school studies. Um, we have mentorship. If you have particular questions, um, we'd be happy to talk to you, set up a Zoom call um, or email or answer any questions like that. Just we're here to kind of help people get started, but also just want to say it really is as simple as opening the book and, and inviting people and opening the book and getting started. What would you say is the minimum to create a book group together? Um, so we recommend, I think, six uh, as sort of the minimum, but and that like six to 12 is sort of your ideal group size, um, just because 
you know, there's always going to be, you're going to have talkers and quieter people and you want to kind of make sure you have space for both of them. Um, and so, yeah, I encourage them to bring a friend uh, and see what happens. I remember, uh, gosh, about probably about 15 years ago, I was asked by a couple of moms to organize this group for middle school girls um, and for them to kind of come together. You know, they didn't really have a lot of Catholic peers and they needed a good influence. They were talking about ideas that were way ahead of their years, but that's what they were surrounded by in the culture. And it just started mm -hmm. with a couple of girls. And it was a matter of just spreading the word, you know, kind of putting feelers out there. And here we had this group of young girls and we were talking about pro-life ideas and chastity and doing small service projects. And it's just a matter of there are a lot of parents who are looking for groups like this, and it may be, you know, out of your high, your uh, Catholic high school or out of your youth group, or it might even be a couple girls who maybe some aren't even necessarily Catholic, but hold to a strong Protestant Christian worldview where you could come together and have discussions. You know, sometimes we have to get a little creative, but it is possible. And these girls are parched for these kinds of conversations. Teresa, you have so many programs that endowgroups.org. That's E-N-D-O-W. That's endowgroups.org. We've posted a link or we're posting a link on my social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, -E, and we'll include a link in the podcast notes for today's show. Again, when I talk about the importance of building up women, especially young women today, for a culture of life in the face of this rampant pro-abortion culture, um, these are programs that we need. It's not easy to get them started uh, always, but God will provide the people if you continue to reach out and you're consistent. So please check out this new program for high school girls, endowgroups.org. Again, that's endowgroups.org, E-N-D-O-W. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're going to talk about how President Biden is considering executive orders and a whole lot of departments getting involved to fight back against Roe versus Wade being overturned. We're taking your abortion questions, numbers 1-888-914-9149. You can ask your question now also on my Instagram story. Follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. -E. We'll be right back here on Trending. This hour is sponsored by Solidarity HealthShare. Join thousands of members who choose life through ethical and affordable health care. Check now to see how much you can save. Go to CatholicHealthShare.com. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm happy to take your questions related to abortion. What arguments are you hearing on the streets? What questions do you have? Sometimes the arguments can become difficult. And if you're stumped as to how to respond, I always say, I think that's a good thing. I think we should be so pro-life that we understand so deeply those times when a woman is at such crisis on the brink of even choosing abortion that we understand why she's there. We have to understand why people got there, why they're about to make that choice so that we can understand and have compassion and help bring them and pull them out 
of those crisis moments. Number is 1-888-914-9149. You can also ask your question now on my Instagram story. I put up a question box there. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, or direct message me. Okay, so we need to talk about how President Biden has responded to the imminent overturning of Roe versus Wade. I really do say imminent with this leaked majority opinion from Justice Alito and knowing the makeup of the court, it's likely we'll have either a 5-4 majority decision or a 6-3 majority decision overturning Roe versus Wade and returning the issue of both states. Why won't Roe stand? Well, one, it had a terrible terrible legal arguments, no legal arguments that should even be upheld uh, to the medical science behind Roe versus Wade is absolutely unacceptable. We're actually going to get into the fact that the medical science used in Roe versus Wade for 18 pages, the largest portion of the Roe versus Wade decision handed down back in 1973 was about medical data in medical science about when human life begins, dating back to pre-medieval times. It didn't even acknowledge current, at that time, 1973, medical and scientific data about human life. But before we go there, I do want to talk about President Biden considering everything from executive orders to also including a multi-department approach to giving access to abortion when Roe versus Wade is overturned. Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters last week that the president has asked for essentially a multi-department involvement to, quote, protect women's rights. Now, from what we've gathered thus far, groups indicated would include everything from the White House Gender Policy Council, the Department of Health and Human Services, the White House Council offices, the Department of Justice, the FDA, and as I mentioned before, President Biden himself utilizing executive orders. They're currently drafting a plan and collaborating with multiple offices to respond to Roe versus Wade being overturned. Jamsaki has made it very clear that they won't release the uh, plan until after the official announcement of Roe versus Wade being overturned in the Supreme Court case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. Jem Psaki actually said it may not all be executive orders. That is how President Biden deals with it. So in other words, there will be some executive orders. But she says a lot of this is ensuring that we have increased access and funding so that women who are living in the states, if Roe were to be overturned, would be able to have expanded access and capabilities, and some of that could be from the Department of Justice. So let's talk about the Department of Justice for just a moment. She explained that the Department of Justice is actually currently being prepped to defend groups individuals against lawsuits and criminal cases. That would include everything from the abortionists, abortion workers, pharmacies that dispense the abortion pill, and even women who obtain abortions. But just to be clear, so far there's not been a law on the books 
since Roe versus Wade that would put a woman who seeks an abortion under any type of punishment. So again, that's a scare tactic, trying to make it sound as if women are going to be punished for abortion, which as of yet, that is not part of the intention. And I do know that many pro-life individuals, pro-life lawmakers actually don't believe in punishing women because we've lived in a culture for 50 years where abortion is cultural. And women have been pushed and pressured to believe that they have no other choices under duress. They don't feel free often when they make the so-called choice of abortion. But let's come back to the Department of Justice for a moment because this is really important and we need to be clear here. This would be a massive overstep of the Department of Justice's jurisdiction. Even the Department of Justice website itself says the Department of Justice has no authority to intervene in matters of state law. The Department of Justice can assume jurisdiction only when there has been a violation of federal law. But in this instance, we're seeing from state to state that Various states are determining pro-life laws and various states are determining pro-abortion laws. And so any lawsuits and prosecution that would occur would be under state law, therefore not standing under the Department of Justice's jurisdiction. So I don't know how that's going to work. This is where the executive orders come into play. It'll be interesting to see. But again, even with executive orders and trying to argue that that's federal law, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. And the reality is I do have to come back to what I believe is good and hopeful news. If President Biden tries to use too many executive orders in creating some sort of right or codifying abortion in any way uh, universally across the nation, uh, we do have many strong justices, many strong judges in the courts across the nation. This was one of the things that we were grateful for under President Trump, that he did really focus on filling the positions of many judges that were open. And he did put in many judges that were pro-life, that were pro-constitution and didn't create fabricated rights in the constitution. And so I am hopeful in the respect that if we do see massive executive orders written, that many of these will be struck down by the judicial system. And we very well may even see some of these go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Who knows? We're in uncharted new territory once Roe versus Wade is overturned. But what I do know is that President a so-called Catholic is doing everything he can to give unfettered access to abortion. So in addition to the Department of Justice, we're looking at the FDA. The FDA has been one of the major groups that the pro-abortion uh, lobby has been really working with over the last two or three years and really since even before the Clinton administration, uh, because they've always viewed the FDA and the abortion pill, RU46, as key to expanding abortion. They have been working, again, since the Clinton administration to deregulate the abortion pill to such an extent that it's basically over-the-counter mail-order abortion pill uh, requiring what we would refer to as no-test protocol, meaning there would no, be no prior screening of a patient before being able to access the abortion pill. There would be no confirmation or knowledge of the gestational age of the baby. There would be no knowledge of the woman's health history if she would be a... a 
okay, I guess we could say candidate uh, for taking the abortion pill. And also there would be no follow-up for potential complications in the RU46 abortion pill process. And let's just recognize for a moment, often when a woman has an RU486 abortion, um, she it's a two-part process, multiple sets of pills. It occurs over a set of days. Uh, it's a bloody mess. The abortion clinics themselves will tell when passing that little paper bag of taking having the woman take one set of pills currently inside of the facility, the abortion facility, and then the other set at home. And actually, with COVID, they really deregulated the pill, by the way, uh, really giving mail order access and telemedicine access to the pill. But essentially what the abortion clinic workers would tell women when they're leaving with their abortion pills, they would literally say, flush, don't look. They're telling these women that when they deliver, when they pass a dead baby, that we're talking about could be six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks gestational age. And in fact, I've known and I've seen firsthand where technically RU46, the abortion pill, isn't really supposed to be given past eight to 10 weeks. It's being given, and I've seen firsthand where it's been given at 16 weeks. That's nearly twice as old as a baby should be uh, that's aborted via abortion pill. That is traumatizing. That is a very large and very developed baby. And this is why in both instances, whether following the actual timing of when a baby um, should be able to be aborted according to the current regulations on the abortion pill, that baby's still very developed and it's scandalizing and shocking and massively emotionally disturbing for women who go through with these abortions at home. And they feel so guilty. They know they self-inflicted this harm, this trauma, this bleeding. I'm talking about blood clots. And I've worked firsthand with women. I've sat there counseling women as they're going through the RU46 abortion process. I'll never forget one woman her name was Melissa. And as she was texting me, as she was passing blood clots the size of baseballs and sitting in a bathtub of blood, no one was there to help her. She wouldn't go to the emergency room at the time because she knew she chose to have an abortion. And not only did she choose to have an abortion, she felt like she deserved what she was going through and wasn't seeking medical attention. And what's sad is that there is actually, and I hope everyone remembers this, there is a process that can help stop and prevent an abortion once it's began, begun. That is a RU46 abortion pill. There's a website called abortionpillreversal.com. That's abortionpillreversal.com. We'll post a link to it on social media. And if a woman has only taken the first abortion pill, um, and has not taken a second, she can actually start the abortion pill reversal protocol that can save her baby. Now, I remember this one woman who was counseling when she had the abortion. She uh, uh, is in the process. She had only taken the first pill. She was very ill, and she ends up in the emergency room. She's changing her mind, and she says, I'd like to go ahead and access the abortion pill reversal protocol. I know it's been successful. The ER doctors literally told her, literally told her that if she tried that, that if her baby survived, it would be deformed and damaged and have various problems. It's not worth it. They forced her in the emergency room to take the second set of abortion pills. Then she then gave birth at home. They just sent her on her way sent her on her way, sent her back home, or she was bleeding profusely, and she passed her baby at home and buried her little baby 
she saw fully formed that they're in her hands in her grandmother's jewelry box. That's the reality of the abortion pill. And so this is part of the strategy of the abortion movement, in particular, currently President Biden, to deregulate via the FDA access to the abortion pill and to do that by decreasing testing protocols to make it a no test protocol so that there's no follow-up and there's no screening in advance that these pills are just accessible to any woman and we're already seeing they used covid as a means to already deregulate the abortion pill somehow two years into covid they did this and so this is part of the approach so as we're talking about this president biden is talking about how, and he's alluded to some of the ways in which he will um, address and give access to abortion once Roe versus Wade is overturned, everything from executive orders, working with the Department of Justice, working with the FDA. He's also, it sounds like, he is, of course, Health and Human Services and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, he might look at asking for Medicaid funds to allow for cross-state travel funds, in particular for low-income women, because this is what's so racist and disgusting about the pro-abortion movement. Half of their arguments have been focused on, well, what about low-income women? Wow, I didn't realize you wanted to kill babies who come from people who have less money so badly. You've made that so clear. And I am just shocked by the racism when he talks about um, various racial groups as well as low-income individuals, as if these babies need to be targeted. But we should not be surprised because this has been a part of the abortion movement, in particular Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood's vision for abortion since the beginning creating a race of thoroughbreds. She has connections back to the Ku Klux Klan and Adolf Hitler. She was a eugenicist. But let's be clear, the press secretary, Jem Psaki, has told reporters the White House will not, again, detail the specifics of the president's plans, but it's very clear that this is a multi-pronged approach. It won't just be executive orders. They're waiting until the Supreme Court officially issues the final decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health that is slated to indeed overturn Roe versus Wade and return the issue back to the states. The question for you and I is what are we going to do about this? The pulse I hear, the reaction from many people is that we're upset. We want to do more. And so my question for you is rather than just talking about how upset you are, how shocked you are by the reaction by people, the pro-abortion arguments, even talking about you know how excited you are that Roe versus Wade will be overturned, that's great, but what are you going to do about it? Because I hear a lot of complaining. I hear a lot of concern, but it's as if we're just floundering. What are you going to do? I want to encourage you. We need to, to focus. We need to pray. We truly need to fast. Abortion itself is a demonic issue. Satan loves the bloodbath of innocent lives that are being killed. Child sacrifice has always been a part of the cult worship of Satan. I could get a lot more into that whole conversation. I'm not right now, but we need to fast. Our Lord Jesus Christ said to his apostles that some demons are only cast out with prayer and fasting. It's not Lent, so what? We can still fast. 
from whole meals, from abstaining from little things that we love, from food for a whole day. We must go to Mass and we must offer our Masses for the leaders of this nation, for the members of the Supreme Court, for the leaders of our various states, for our lawmakers, for women who are in crisis pregnancy situations. We need to make offerings for those people who are making decisions to have abortions, to legalize abortion, to criminalize abortion. We need to get involved politically. We should know what's happening in our state, the politics of our state, the laws in our state, the efforts to increase or decrease abortion access. We need to have boots on the ground locally in front of our abortion clinics. Not everyone's called a sidewalk council, but everyone can stand in front of an abortion clinic and pray. It's your right. It is your right to stand in front of an abortion clinic and pray. It's a public sidewalk. We need to financially, monetarily support pro-life nonprofits who are at the forefront of this movement, who are fighting legally, who are fighting spiritually, who are fighting to help give the basic resources that women need through our crisis pregnancy centers. So I want to encourage you, pray fast, offer your masses, get involved politically, have your boots on the ground, financially support pro-life nonprofits. We need to get involved and stop saying, I'm upset. Stop saying, I want to do something. Actually do something. With whatever time, whatever monetary resources you may have. But remember, I come back over and over again to fasting. We might not all have the ability to give a ton financially. Or we might not have a lot of time to give. But we can fast. We can fast. We make it through Lent. And if you have a hard time making it through Lent, maybe this is an opportunity to work a little bit better on your fasting. You're listening to Trending with Timmy here on Relevant Radio. I'm going to come back talking about the fake and deceptive science that led to legalized abortion. We're also going to unpack some of the toughest abortion questions that some of you guys are sending me of what you're hearing on the streets today. Today's show is sponsored by Colby Academy. With more than 40 years of experience in Catholic home education, Colby Academy offers a blend of classical Catholic curriculum and the latest educational technology. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm taking your abortion questions. What arguments are you hearing on the streets today? The most common claims as to why abortion should be legal, accessible, you name it. I'll take those. But before we go there, one thing that really, really bothers me, among many things, about Roe versus Wade that legalized abortion back in 1973. And that is the profuse number of lies that were told in order to legalize abortion and the lies that were told legally and scientifically trying to back up the Roe versus Wade decision and how this was allowed to go unchallenged by the Supreme Court. 
Now, we talked about how I read Justice Alito's draft opinion that was leaked a couple weeks ago and how he breaks down and goes after the legal arguments uh, made for abortion, how they just don't hold up and how the, the idea of a constitutional right to abortion wasn't there and it was never intended by the Constitution. He makes that very clear. I laid all of that out a couple weeks ago. We'll include a link in the podcast notes as well as on social media where I discuss the the breakdown by Justice Alito on this. And again, it is believed that he will indeed continue to be the one that writes the draft, the um, opinion, the primary opinion, handing down the decision of the court to overturn Roe versus Wade, and that this is pretty close to the final draft. Uh, That's really what's expected. Again, that's all speculation. So I talked about the legal side of it. Today, I want to talk about the science of what is shown in Roe versus Wade. So the judge who delivered the majority opinion in 1973, uh, determining the decision of the court in Roe versus Wade was Judge Harry Blackman. He delivered the majority opinion in Roe. And 18 pages of the majority opinion in Roe explains the science about human development. But get this, all of the science cited, and I'm putting air quotes right there, right now, the so-called science cited was indeed science, but it was pre-medieval data about the development of the child appealing all the way back to views between 460 B.C. and 1274. Not even touching on the 13th century. The 14th, the 15th, the 16th, the 17th, the 18th, the 19th, or the 20th century science about human development. But before I get into some of the science that was absolutely available at the time, of Roe versus Wade that clearly indicates when human life begins. You need to understand what Justice Harry Blackman said in that majority opinion and how it's still the argument somehow that people are using today. Well, so here, let's talk about it a little bit. So he tried to make it sound like the idea of when human life begins is still just a theological debate and ultimately a Catholic idea. A Catholic idea. And this is still the argument today. This is an argument that I took last week, and I'll connect it because this has to do with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists rewriting in their own books when they believe human life begins and how this has deceived many people for the last 60 years. Because ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, actually changed when human life begins in their definition. Again, not an actual medical definition, not an actual scientific definition, just what they believe to be when implantation occurs. That is when the baby implants the mother's uterus. So trying to make it sound as if new human life does not occur prior to implantation. But as we know, conception, also referring to fertilization, we're referring to the same thing, happens outside of the uterus in the fallopian tube. And that is a new distinct human life with the full genetic makeup to help us know and understand everything from eye color, characteristics, skin tone, you name it. New, unique, 
unrepeatable human life. But I digress. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's come back to what Justice Harry Blackman said in the majority opinion for Roe versus Wade. 18 pages of this absolute crap. I'm sorry. There's no better word for it. He said, in view of all of this, when he's talking about the fact that really the idea of when human life begins is just a theory, he says, in view of all of this, we do not agree that by adopting one theory of life, the taxes may override the right of pregnant women that are at stake. So he's saying that because people can't agree when human life begins, and it's really just a theory, and really just a Catholic theory, if you believe that human life begins at conception, we can't override, override the rights of pregnant women. The, the rights of pregnant women are at stake. That's what's said in this majority opinion. He then goes on to claim, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. When those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at any consensus, the judiciary at this point in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate as to the answer. So what Justice Blackman, writing the majority opinion on Roe versus Wade, just said is that the court doesn't have to resolve this debate that's philosophical, theological, and even medicine disciplines. None of them can agree. That's false. The science that he cites for 18 pages, the majority, the largest part of the majority opinion of the Roe versus Wade decision, it's 18 pages of pre-medieval data on the development of the child. I'm talking about prior to like 1274 and going all the way back to 460 BC. So let me just name a few resources. And I have, let's see how many, one, two, three, four. I have probably about 20 resources in front of me right now citing the science prior to Roe versus Wade about how it, it was agreed consensus, decided fact that human life begins at conception, also known as fertilization. And none of these, none of these were listed in the majority opinion. It was only pre-medieval data. I'm not kidding. This is how atrocious the Roe versus Wade decision is. And this is why Planned Parenthood, NARAL, now all these pro-abortion groups knew that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned because the legal arguments for Roe, the medical arguments, the scientific arguments, they were either completely fabricated, old data, or just out just outright terrible, terrible arguments. But because there was a majority of pro-abortion justices, this went unchallenged because the Supreme Court is the highest court of our land and no one's there to challenge them. So let's talk about, okay, so the journal JAMA, we know JAMA is a very famous journal, all the way, dating all the way back to 1887, August of 1887. It says, the life of the fetus commences at the moment of conception. Heisler, a text of embryology for students of medicine in 1901. A study coming out by Sanders in Philadelphia and London. So cross countries, right? National support in the United States and in London. So fertilization is that union of spermatozoa and egg cell, which initiates the phenomenon resulting in the formation of a new individual life. Let's take Edgar J. C. The Practice of Obstetrics, the third edition in 1908. We're talking about 
over 60 years prior to the Roe versus Wade decision. This is what it says. When this occurs, that is the ovum and the spermatozoa come together, the woman conceives and enters into the period of pregnancy or gestation. McMurick in the development of the human body, another resource, a manual of human embryology dating all the way back to 1923, Philadelphia. It says, as a matter of fact, such a restoration of cells occurs at the very beginning of the development of each individual, being brought about by the union of a sperm with an ovum. Okay, let's see. What other resources can I look at? Oh, okay, 1953. Human Embryology, second edition, written by Patton. This is coming from Toronto and New York City. Okay, again, multiple nations in the world talking about the data, the clear medical science about when human life begins. It says the elements that unite are single cells, each on the point of death, but by their union, an individual is formed. Okay, I could go on and on with resources. Actually, let me take you to 1962. Okay, so just 11 years prior to the Roe versus Wade decision. This is Flanagan, The First Nine Months of Life, published coming out of New York. It has a number of great resources, one of which it says, each new baby is a unique individual, never entirely like either parent or any ancestor. It goes on to say that moment when the two new nuclei form, the new, the now new fertilized egg divides in two is the beginning of the life of a new individual. This is a zero hour of day one. I have so many resources right here in front of me stating very clearly human life begins at conception. The moment of, of fertilization, when sperm and egg meet, a new distinct human life has begun. Whether that baby is male or female, the genetics are there making up skin color, eye color, even characteristics and tendencies, bad habits and weaknesses. And there are things that are there written into the DNA. How we can deny this? is absolutely unbelievable. The fact that none of this data, all coming from the 20th century and years prior to Roe versus Wade, how none of this made it into the majority opinion, how none of this made it into the court case and the decision of Roe versus Wade in 1973 shows how biased the court was and it reveals yet again how terrified the pro-abortion movement has been that Roe versus Wade is overturned. If you watched the um, initial hearings and the oral arguments before the Supreme Court back in December, arguing when the Mississippi Solicitor General argued why Roe versus Wade should be overturned, that in hearing the Mississippi case about um, making abortion unaccessible after 15 weeks, that ultimately he said, you have to decide on Roe versus Wade. You have to make a decision. Either you uphold Roe versus Wade or you don't. And why was this an argument that needed to occur? One, because the reality is, is that nothing yet had actually challenged Roe versus Wade. And now that Roe versus Wade has finally been challenged, we are seeing the reality of how bad this court case actually is. And that this decision 
and Roe versus Wade cannot and will not be upheld. And that now the pro-abortion movement isn't arguing as to whether or not the human life is really human life, even though they still try to dupe women into thinking that a baby isn't a baby, even though women know better. That's why we women suffer for years in post-abortion syndrome, because they know that no matter what, they were still a mom. But they still try to convince women that it's just a blob of cells. That human life doesn't really begin until after implantation. But we have to set the record straight. There's a fantastic book I'd like to re- recommend. It's written by Dr. Thomas Hilder. It's the fake and deceptive science behind Roe versus Wade. Settled law versus settled science. How this was a legal decision that was made rather than confirmed in science and truth. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'd like to take a couple questions circling around the abortion argument. Let's take um, this question that I think is a very common one. That It comes from Angela on Instagram. She says, there's a perception that abortion is a left or right or religious issue, but there are a ton of atheists, seculars, and even people living out in LGBTQ+, BLM, um, any number of perspectives on life who, who believe that abortion's wrong. So again, it's true. I was actually just thinking about this the other day. I know a number of people who hold to a radical LGBTQ ideology, but who are very pro-life. But so here's the difference in what Angela's talking about. She said, they're also though pushing as a solution for controversy for contraception, birth control, vasectomies, and universal health care and universal pay and paid family leave. How do we deal with a conversation without forcing religion on others? Okay, first and foremost, you don't have to be pro anything in particular to be pro-life. So you don't have to be pro-universal health care. You don't have to be pro-paid family leave for a year, six months, nine months, or whatever it is that people are advocating for in order to be pro-life. You don't have to be pro-contraception or pro-vasectomy as a solution in order to be pro-life. So first of all, I think it's important that we acknowledge that although there are a lot of people who are pro-life, we can disagree on how the solutions and the answers to decreasing access or the choice of abortion are. So, But I think it's important to take some of these. So for example, universal health care and paid family leave are policy choices. But that doesn't determine whether or not you're pro-life. So if someone tries to throw that in your face, it just really doesn't hold anything because we're talking about whether or not we're okay with killing babies or not. Not whether or not we find we agree on a solution such as paid family leave um, increased for a prolonged period of time or universal health care. Also, uh, to be anti-birth control is not necessarily a Catholic position. There are droves of men and women today who are opposed to the use of birth control. Although the Catholic Church has always led the fight in opposing contraception, and it has opposed it the loudest, contraception, the bottom line, is bad for women's body. It's a group one carcinogen recognized by the United Nations and any number of medical journals. Women who take birth control are too, are far higher likelihood toward anxiety and even psychological developmental damages if it's taken during those teenage years. And most contraception 
functions as an abortifacient, therefore killing a baby. So uh, for pro-lifers to continue to uphold uh, to not supporting birth control, it's not a religious view. It's a fact that literally birth control in the vast majority of cases can work as a fail-safe and kill a baby in the earliest stages of life. Vasectomies are bad for men, causing severe autoimmune issues. No one's talking about this. And yes, it goes against my Catholic church's teaching. And by the way, we'll link in the podcast notes to a topic I did discussing vasectomies. Um, but I think it's important just in finish, understand that abortion is about believing that it kills a baby and that's wrong. And we can disagree on solutions, but I think it's important that we do uphold and not balk when people say that's a religious argument because these aren't just religious arguments. They're grounded in science, medical data, and truth. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Wednesday is our gentleman's hour and do I have a story for you. Sean Forrest will join me and he's going to share his own testimony from drinking, being a famous musician, and losing everything. His life changing, saving his marriage. It's an incredible story. So join me Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.